You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. Today is going to be a very different kind of service, but one that hopefully, if you've been around for long enough, you would come to expect by now from us. Uh, We do things a little bit differently, Uh, but I want to start by giving you a little bit of a primer here. 37 years ago, uh, Celebration Baptist Church, actually it was Cornerstone Baptist Church, called their first senior pastor to the church. They weren't a really, young, a, they a, weren't young really gun. a church yet. They were just a hodgepodge. Uh, they were of a Bible study. That <laughs> wanted to start a church. Yeah. They uh, they called a young gun by the name of James Reeves, Mr. James Reeves at the time. At the time, you hadn't earned your doctorate yet. And uh, over the course of time, really into the '90s, this church transformed into what you know today—a church of help, hope, and healing, the hospital church, if you will. And we have continued that that vision, that mindset, that approach to ministry, uh, all the way up until today. In March of this past year. James uh, stepped down from the senior pastorate to pursue really doing what we're doing this morning here with the Fearless series. He's still our teaching pastor. And uh, I, with the affirmation of the elders, uh, came into that senior pastorate role. And about two weeks ago, James called me and he said, hey, I, I want to do something that we did years ago. It was a, a sermon called The Day That Celebration Told the Truth About Pornography. And he had guys come up and talk about their struggle and the battle and and their healing from it through the the freedom group process. And he said, man, I want to do something very similar to that, only with the sexual abuse of women. And I wanted to know what your thoughts were. And I said, absolutely. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't even have to pray about it. Let's do it. Let's absolutely do it. And at first, when we were talking about the formation of this Sunday morning, I was going to just take the the morning off because this is his panel and and he's really been the, the driving force behind Fearless. It makes sense for him to do it. And, uh, and then I got thinking about it and, and, and praying about it, and I thought, you know what? No, the church needs to see me introduce this for one critical reason, because for a long time, the hospital church ministry has essentially been equated with Dr. Reeves. And while he is the certain, certainly the person that God used to bring this vision to life through his leadership here at the church, it's important for you to hear that that vision is still alive and well uh, under this new wave of leadership in this church. Yeah. And it's something that we're not stopping, we're not slowing down. In fact, we want to push forward even further. I want to take it to the next level. And, uh, and so I wanted you to hear that, that this is something that we're not leaving, we're not walking away from. We want to support and champion this. You are going to be blown away this morning by what you're about to experience. It is incredible. I don't want to take any more time. Without further ado, Dr. Reeves. Thank you. What he said at that time, he was Mr. Reeves. I'm not Mrs. Reeves now. I don't know. I think he was referring to the fact that I hadn't finished my doctorate at that time, so uh, they, I've been called worse by better, I guess. Uh, you know, I guess what I am, as I said in the first service, is I'm Moses and brought the people to, the, to the, the brink of the Jordan River, and now he gets to be Joshua and go into the Promised Land. You know? Oh, well, whatever. I'm, I'm more than happy to allow him to do it. Thank you and welcome to the day that City on a Hill told the truth about the sexual abuse of women. This last week, unless you're living under a rock, you heard the reports about the independent investigation into Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York State and the investigation that was ordered by the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York into uh, allegations of sexual abuse by the governor. They concluded their investigation, they released the results this, this week, and the investigation revealed, the conclusion was that Governor Cuomo had created a hostile work environment for women for many years, and he had used his position as governor of power to abuse women uh, in various ways on his staff as well as those who were just simply around him. And I I mentioned that this morning simply because Governor Cuomo's story reveals and reminds us of a truth that is very real about abuse, that sexual abuse is always about power. There is never a time that sexual abuse is not about power. If it's against a child, then it is about an older person who has power over that child. If it's a teenager, it's someone who has power over that 
teenager. Sometimes uh, it can be someone who has greater physical power, physical strength, and then they use that to assault and to sexually abuse an individual. And then sometimes, as we know well in our culture, we hear about it a lot, sometimes it is someone who has emotional or positional power over that individual, as, as Governor Cuomo did, is accused of doing, and uses that to get what he wants from those women. But here is the truth. Sexual abuse is always about power, and I'm going to ask the choir to say amen. Amen. Thank you, ladies. You're going to be hearing from them in just a moment. So what we have to do is we have to be able to find a way to strip the power away from the abuser, but our focus and what we do in ministry here at this church is to help women who have had this experience to strip the experience of its power over their life. We can never get rid of the memory, but as we said in the first service this morning, we can strip that memory of its power, and that is the purpose of the journey of healing. And this morning, I've invited a panel of six women Five women from our church, and we'll let Gwen introduce herself in a moment, uh, who are actually survivors of sexual abuse, have found their help, hope, and healing here in the context of this ministry, and are at varying stages of that healing, but we're all, are all committed to continuing on in the ministry to other women who are survivors. And, 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 and I just want to say I thank you very much. Uh, these are very brave women. These are heroic women as far as I'm concerned to be willing to get up here in front of God and everybody and talk about this very difficult subject that is very personal to them because it is one that they have actually experienced and it has at, at one time in their life was creating devastating results in their life and they're willing now to go on record publicly before you and before people all over the country ultimately and eventually to say there is hope in this process. There is hope. And to kind of lay back the veil of some of the lies and misunderstandings and misconceptions. Now, some of you might ask the question, why is a church doing a panel discussion on Sunday morning when the preacher ought to be preaching about the sexual abuse of women? Well, I'll, I'll answer you with two answers. First of all, we're doing it because of the numbers of women who have had this experience. Professionals tell us, and we'll be talking about this some in the morning, this morning in the panel, professionals tell us that a minimum, I get that, it's a minimum of one out of three women will experience some form of overt sexual assault violation of some form that is unwanted, it is uninvited, and has at some level debilitating effects upon her. A minimum of one out of three women by the time they reach early adulthood in America. So if we were this morning to ask every third woman, go one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, all through the auditorium, and ask the third, all the threes to stand up, that would give you a visual representation, as Marnie Faree says on the Fearless series for women, of the prevalence of sexual abuse. But that even is really not the full that's just the tip of the iceberg, and we're going to get down a little bit below that. So this is a prevalent, prevalent issue in our culture, and that means that there are women in our churches, there are our wives, men, there are daughters, there are sisters, there are aunts, there are sisters in Christ who have had this experience that are sitting in this auditorium right now in churches all over America, and most of them have never told anyone, and it is having debilitating effects on their life, at least in some area and oftentimes in multiple areas. I have no doubt that if a typical pastor or elder board found out that one-third of the women in the church had an alcohol problem that was not just casual, but that it was enough that it was causing damage in their spiritual life, emotional life, marriage, relationships. They would get on the stick and they would find out and get educated about alcohol abuse and they would implement a ministry in the church to help women get past that. Do you doubt that for a moment? Most of, it, most of them would do that. Yet every Sunday, pastors are standing up preaching the word of God to more women than men because there are more population of women in the typical church than there are in men. And at minimum, a one out of three of them have had this debilitating experience and most of them have never told anyone or gotten any help. That's why the church needs to begin to address this issue. But second of all, because we have to break the code of silence about sexual abuse 
in order for there ever to be any help, hope, and healing. There is a very real code of silence in the Christian community about the topic of the sexual abuse of women. And here is how it goes. It begins with Christian leaders. For the most part, Christian leaders in the church and their pastors, staff members, whatever, for the most part, Christian leaders in the churches in America are silent about this issue of the sexual abuse of women. We rarely, if ever, hear a message about sexual abuse of women from the pulpit. How many of you have ever heard a pastor preach a message about the sexual abuse of women? Probably haven't. You probably can't remember it. And you can't remember it because you probably never heard it. Even though there is plenty of biblical info about this. There's a story of Amnon who set up his sister Tamar and literally raped her. Then there's a story of David, King David, and Bathsheba. You know, it's interesting that we often talk about this story and we talk about God's discipline upon David and how this was a, a, you know, a horrible thing and God's disciplining hand came down upon David. Let me tell you what this was with David. It was sexual abuse. David was the king of the nation. He had power over this woman. She couldn't say no, whether she wanted to or whether she didn't. He used his position and his power to get what he wanted from Bathsheba. And if you study the scripture, you will find that God's disciplining hand came heavily down upon David. But there's not one word of fault upon Bathsheba given in the scriptures. Because David perpetrated his power in order to abuse this woman, Bathsheba. So there's plenty of scriptural content if we just were willing and desiring to address this issue. There are a lot of reasons why Christian leaders are silent about this issue, and we'll not go into that this morning, but what I'm saying to you and why we're doing this here in front of God and everyone this morning is to say to leaders everywhere that the silence has got to be broken, and it has to begin with Christian leaders. The second code of silence is with women within the church who have not had this experience. And because they have not had the experience of sexual abuse, they've not experienced it, it's not a rigged thing that's on their radar at the particular time. Oh, they know that it happens. We read about it. We read about Como. Maybe you've had talks with women through the years that have experienced that. But most women who've had the experience aren't talking about it with anybody. And so really, you're not really all that aware of how prevalent this is in our culture. So you're not really talking about this issue, and you're not really that energetic in getting the church to minister to women in the area of sexual abuse. So, because leaders are silent about this issue, and because women who have not had this experience, for the most part, are silent about this issue, guess who else is silent? The women who have had the experience. Because you see, it's not a topic that the church is talking about, so the church for the most part is not a safe place. It's not a place that most women feel that they can come forward and talk about this experience and get help. Why are they silent? They are silent because nobody else is talking about it. They are silent because of their fear. They are silent because they are afraid that they will not be believed, that they'll be blamed for the experience, whatever it was, and that they'll be rejected, or they'll become the latest uh, little tidbit of gossip on the prayer line uh, through the church. Did you hear about what happened? So, so, oh, we didn't need to pray about her, but not a lot of praying goes on, but a whole lot of talking goes on. They're afraid that that's going to happen to them, and so they are silent. And they are silent because of the fear, and they are silent because of the shame. Their shame is always attached to this subject. Is that right, ladies? Correct. Shame always attaches itself to this issue of sexual abuse. As a matter of fact, not only is the silence in the church one of the reasons women don't talk about it, but it is shame. And we're going to talk about this in a morning, that one of the greatest steps toward healing that a woman can have in her life is to begin to talk about her abuse, but it is a shame in her that keeps her from doing that. The very thing that she needs to do, she cannot do, because nobody else is talking about it, giving her permission to, and her shame says to her that if you talk about this, they will think differently of you, and they will think less of you. This is why we are doing this, and this is why we must break the code of silence. And my prayer 
this morning is that this panel will help leaders around the country as they eventually see it, because we're going to put this on the website of the Fearless Series for Women, um, and churches are beginning to use that, and pastors and leaders are going to have an opportunity to see this and hopefully be prodded to break the silence so that survivors in their churches can step forward and there's ministry available for them. I said this in the first service, and what I'm calling women to, not only in our church, but every church, we've been doing this kind of ministry for almost 30 years since Vanessa first started healing from her sexual abuse, and now Vanessa's on her staff. I'm not going to tell your story. I'm going to let you tell your own story. But <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> now no, you do a pretty good job of it. Um, so this is not new to us. We talk about this openly in our church. But what we're going to do uh, is we're putting this out there. And the Fearless Series for Women is, a, is, I developed that to be a tool, to give a safe tool for churches to begin to address this issue. Okay? So let's talk about this. But before we do, I want to get, I want to address the elephant that is in the middle of the room here this morning. And that is to ask the ladies, which I know the answer to this already, are you a bit nervous? Well, not as much as the first one. Yeah, you've already done this once. You know, you've already ridden this horse once, right? right. Okay. Well, let's see if we can Still make it a little. Nervous. We can see if we can make it a little different than it was the first service. Um, uh oh. So yeah, uh, I went into a meeting this week where Vanessa had called the ladies together, and they were talking, and and I showed up, and and in the room I could sense that there was a great deal of anxiety, <laughs> that some things needed to be discussed about what we were going to do and what we weren't going to do, and 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 I was not shocked by that and surprised by that at all, and so that to me makes them even more heroic in my eyes because I know there's fear. I know that they felt some anxiety, and I, I know how they're feeling right now, and yet they are willing to get up here on this stage and tell their stories, and for me, this is heroic. This is heroic, what they're doing. So let's go around the table real quickly. We got the microphones all turned on and everything, correctly? Okay. And I'll begin with, uh, with uh, Vanessa, and uh, I just want them to tell who they are and when their experience of sexual abuse took place. We're just going to jump right into the deep end right off the front here. Well, my name is Vanessa Ellswick. I'm on staff here part-time. Uh, I was five years old when I was molested for the first time. Uh, it was a total stranger. I had never seen him before, and I never saw him later. It was like he just appeared out of nowhere. I was in the country in West Virginia. That's where I grew up. And I remember uh, running and standing next to my mother after it had happened. I was paralyzed with fear. It's like, mm. what just happened? And you didn't tell your mother. Right. So I just shut it down big time. Totally blocked it out. The second time was uh, I lived across the street from a grocery store. It was a family owned. And uh, the owner of the business would, when I would go over to get bread or whatever, you know, he would do very inappropriate things. And I tried to tell my mother once, I, I said, you know, I don't feel very comfortable when I go over there. I said, you know, I didn't even know what it was. And she said, well, just don't go over there anymore. So that kind of shut me down. She quit sending you for bread to the store. Right. <laughs> And then the third time was a youth sponsor in the church that I was going to. A youth sponsor. It happens. Oh, my goodness. So, and, Vanessa, and I didn't tell anybody then either. And Vanessa is on our staff, and Vanessa began her healing journey here about 30 years ago when yeah. she and her husband Ron came here. And about 10 years ago, uh, we had already started our ministry to women who are survivors of sex abuse, but I knew we had to have a woman who was a point person on the staff that could be identified by women as a safe person. So Vanessa came on our staff and she's done a wonderful job being a safe place for women uh, to tell this issue and we're very proud uh, to have her. Thank you. Gwendolyn? Good morning. I don't think I'm on. Uh-oh. Okay. Have we got it now? Did somebody push the button and turn it off? You didn't touch it this time? Okay, go ahead. I think that's the same button. Yeah, that's on. Good morning. My name is Gwendolyn Jones. We'll use one mic. <laughs> yeah, one mic. My name is Gwendolyn Jones, and I'm not a member here at City on the Hill Church, but well, I'll Well, we can fix that. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> but I definitely want to thank Pastor Rees for inviting me over to this panel discussion and also inviting me to be a part of the, the Fearless series. 
My abuse started when I was 12 years old, and it was by my mother's living boyfriend slash stepfather. He became my stepfather four years later. And the experience definitely shut me down. I was definitely fearful. My abuse happened in the 1970s when there was no talk about sexual abuse, no information. Even if you told, it got pushed up under the rug and you were just supposed to just move on through life like nothing was happening. Was this a continuing thing for you, Gwen, or a one-time experience? Continual. It was continual. For five years. For five years. To five the years. point that I, as I got older, I realized that nobody was going to help me. And so I ran away at the age of 17 okay. to, get to get away to from escape. Right, to get away from the abuse. Wow, okay. And now Gwen uh, is, uh, has a ministry, Arise International. Yes, where she works Thank with you. Where she works with women who are survivors <laughs> of sexual abuse in support groups. And yes. the reason I invited Gwen is not only because I had invited and, and interviewed her for the Fearless Series, but she just lives south of Dallas and right. the other women are all over the country. And so we were able to have her come and, and her input is incredibly valuable to us. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Pastor Reese. I do want to add that I've been working with survivors now for 13 years. Mm -hmm. uh, God has called me to this ministry, and it's just amazing to me how God can take what the enemy meant for evil and mm -hmm. use it Absolutely. for his good. And he has definitely done that Absolutely. in my life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dan. My name is Stephanie Stewart, and um, my uh, abuse happened when I was about 13. Um, a half-sibling, um, and I didn't tell anyone for a while, but once I did express to my mom, my sister, other family, they, they were concerned, they cared, but unfortunately, that was in, you know, the early 80s, and we still, we just didn't talk about it. Right. You know, it just, it just, you know, they, like I said, they cared, but what, what could they do? What would they do? They didn't, they didn't know what to do. Mm. And so I, I just struggled for years um, until Fearless Series. I, I came here uh, in 16 and... Um, Not at 16, but no, in no, no, 2016. 2016, sorry. Not the same thing. At, in in uh, 2016, sorry. And... Um, <laughs> I have worked on myself, I, you know, just, um, I've, I've had uh, issues of rage and not understanding why I was so angry. Uh, I've had issues of just uh, feeling like I don't matter and didn't understand why. Uh, but, and when I came here to City on a Hill, I, I started, I jumped right into freedom groups and, and trying to understand where that, where that comes from and not until um, did it click for me? Um, I said this in the first service, but when uh, Derek was presenting it, one or, or talking about it at a service of mm -hmm. some kind, and I and he said, you know, he ended that sentence with "You do matter," mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, you know, mm. that's I need to do that. Um, you know. That's, was it the was it the experience in the fearless series something clicked and you connected the dots with why you felt that you didn't matter with your sexual abuse? Is that kind of what? Yeah, I, I mean, I have always felt like that, but I didn't understand why. why. Yeah, okay. I'd always felt like that, but I didn't understand why. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in my past, you know. Hey, who doesn't have stuff, right? <laughs> but you know, I, I didn't understand why I felt the way I did, why I was so different than everyone in my family. Mm -hmm. Why, you know, why? And that, that's when it clicked. Because I have said that those words, I don't matter. I just don't matter. Have come out of my mouth too many times to my family, to my husband, to, you know. And when those words came out of Derek's mouth, it clicked for me that there's something to that. I need to take that, that freedom group or that, that class, you know. And I'm thankful that I did because... It did um, help me to understand. Yeah. And once you get understanding, you can begin doing something about it. But as yes. long as there's no understanding, it's kind of difficult to know what to do. Right, yeah. right. And, and, you know, 
that one class is not going to be it. I'm going to have to continue to do this because it's, it's going to affect me. Yeah. I remember, uh, oh, probably what, four or five weeks ago, uh, after she'd gone through the fearless series, she caught me in between the <laughs> service out in the foyer, and she began to tell me the story that it had finally clicked for her why she felt she didn't matter, and it was she finally was able to connect those dots. And there's so often that women have this experience and things happen in their life, but they don't connect the cause and effect. Yeah until they get into an experience yeah. and somebody says something or, or something is said in, or the material in the grip and all of a sudden they start going, oh, that's why, begin yeah. to connect the dots and that's when real healing can begin to take place. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Amen, okay, Katie? Uh, I'm Katie Peterson. Uh, my first um, abuse happened when I was 12 years old. Um, I, uh, let's see, whew. I was 12 years old, and uh, right after it happened, I had a family member come in and say, you know, what are you doing? Like, you have this boy over at your house, and uh, you know you're not supposed to do that. I'm going to tell mom and dad, and uh, shame just came over me. It, it was shame from that, but I connected it with what had just happened, and I feared that if I told my parents what had happened, that I would get in trouble for, for having this boy over when I wasn't supposed to. And uh, that lasted for 21 years. I didn't tell a soul. Um, it was very difficult for me as a 12-year-old to deal. I didn't have the coping skills that I do now. And that was just so difficult for me. I didn't know what to do, what to say. You know, mm. I, I just was paralyzed by it. And it definitely affected me in my life. It affected me with my behavior, my school. Um, I started um, self-harming. I, I cut myself for a long time, uh, just trying to release the pain. And uh, then when that wasn't working, then I, I turned to uh, self-medicating. And I did that for years and finally, um, I knew I just couldn't live like that anymore. I couldn't live in that world. And um, uh, in 2009 is when I came to City on a Hill. It was Celebration Fellowship then. Um, I still was living with abuse at that time um, until 2011 when I took my first Freedom Group course. And it was um, making peace with your past and I met some really good people in there, and then shortly after, uh, they advertised for Shelter uh, shelter from the Storm, which is a class about um, women who have been sexual abused and are survivors. And that's really when I began my journey of healing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's taken many years uh, I took that class for about four years um, on my own, and then I started co-facilitating, and I did that for a year, and then I took on as a facilitator for a couple of years, and God bless that class. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a journey. It's not a... It is a journey, yeah. and I'm still dealing with, dealing with some emotions and everything, but um, God has really taken me far, and... Yeah. It has been an incredible journey that I am, I, I'm very grateful for it, and I'm glad I did it. Amen. So. Thank you, Katie. Cindy. I'm Cindy Tripp. Uh, my first memory is probably when I was maybe four years old. Um, this happened uh, throughout my life, um, several different um, perpetrators, um, several different people, um, but also um, set me up a, a situation in my life where I, um, I kind of had that same situation where I, I felt like that was the way people were supposed to treat me. And mm -hmm. so I spent mm -hmm. my um, childhood and my adolescence with a kind of a feeling of uh, fear, never really feeling safe, and kind of walling myself off because um, 
I couldn't trust anyone. And so um, I spent a lot of years um, kind of walled off in that way, not allowing people to get close to me. I came to City on a Hill when I was, um, well, in uh, 96, um, after a failed first marriage, my husband and I uh, got married, and the first thing we did was, uh, was come here. And I, I thank the Lord that he uh, showed us this church because my healing began immediately. Uh, as, soon as, I, as soon as I came here, I jumped right into um, making peace was my first as well. And I think I've, I counted maybe, I think I've had nine or ten freedom groups. I don't know if that's a record, but... Um, <laughs> that's still, not a record, I can promise you. Still working, <laughs> still working on um, things, but um, I, I've had that yeah. same, uh, that feeling of, um, you know, not knowing where those feelings come from, the anger, um, that shame, that fear, um, and... <clears throat> Uh, just learning how to have relationships uh, with with other people and with God, um, because that trust uh, kind of it wasn't just uh, distrust of people, but it was distrust of God as well. Mm. And so, mm. learning how to allow God to love me and to, and um, to be my father. Amen. Um, and so, Thank you, I'm Sam. really Good thankful job. for all of those years of of healing here. Okay, Christy, get that microphone up close to your face. Good morning. My name is Christy Martinez. I've been a member of City on a Hill for the last 15 years. Um, my sexual abuse started at the age of 16 uh, by a very prominent figurehead at the church that I attended. Uh, it was a female member. She was uh, an adult, married with two children, and she had a lot of uh, emotional power over me. Um, just prior to that, um, as many of you may know, I went through a very traumatic situation at the Wedgwood Baptist Church shooting. And I'd love to unpack what Pastor Reeves has said about this code of silence. It was much easier for me to share the traumatic situation that I endured watching people uh, unfortunately die, get shot and killed, than it was for me to talk about the sexual right. abuse. Um, it took me 10 years before I hit recovery. I will say that in that 10 years, there were many times that I had considered suicide, had acted upon uh, many of those feelings. But early on in recovery, as many times uh, as I read James's material, Romans 12:2 always stood out, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God, knowing what is good, acceptable, and Amen. perfect. And um, I will say early on, I did not understand the significance of that. However, I knew that I needed healing. My brain had been damaged by the trauma and the childhood uh, effects of se sexual abuse that some of the circuitry in my brain uh, started turning right and left when it needed to go straight. Yep. But by renewing my mind day in, day out, doing this process, connecting with God's people, leaning on his word and doing this with one another, uh, I truly believe that my brain and my emotions, my boundaries have had significant healing. And it's so, it's so easy for situations in life to set us up for this and the enemy is so nefarious and the enemy is so evil that he uses those traumatic experiences in a child's life and a young teenager's life to set him or her up for the next step because just at, at that time Christy 16 year old girl had been in at Wedgwood Baptist Church when that shooting happened there were eight or nine of the kids that were killed seven, seven kids killed the girl right behind her was shot to death the boy sitting next to her was wounded pipe bomb down at the end of the thing didn't go off or she wouldn't be here today. And then right on the heels of that, when she reached out for help was when this abuse began to happen to her. The person that she reached out for, for help was the one that actually became her abuser. And so you can imagine all of the kinds of, of chaos and stuff. And uh, Christy is currently the assistant chief of police for the Grand Prairie Police Department. I understand you've turned in your retirement papers now, so that's, that's, that's public knowledge. Yeah, well, well, you know, in this environment, in this environment, a lot of good police officers, and I can say she is one, uh, are, are seeking early retirement. It's just not the career that a lot of them, the good ones, want to be involved in more. Uh, Cindy is also a retired police officer. She was a police sergeant in, uh, uh, in Colleyville. So, hmm? 
South Lake was, well, South Lake, Colleyville, you know, it's all about, the, oh, no, oh, I'm sorry. Don't go there, buddy. Did I just say something wrong? So, and you, her husband is also retired, but he was from Mansfield. I got that right. Yes, okay. Uh, and so, uh, you know, but the, really is interesting. We've got, uh, you know, a couple of uh, pre-kindergarten teachers here. Is that right? We've got two police officers. We've got a woman who's formerly in business in, in the corporate America, and, and then Vanessa. Who knows what Vanessa is other than my sister? A whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, just a, just a girl from West Virginia. But, but it, what it does say to us is this happens to women of all socioeconomic, you know, abuse knows no tax bracket. When you're a child, the abuser doesn't care if you're from a wealthy family or you're from a, a poor family, what color your skin is. They don't care anything about that. It's about power. And, and so there is no stereotype of a woman who has had this experience. There just is no stereotype. It's one thing I've learned in 30 years of doing this work. Real quickly, and we don't have to go around the deal, well, let's just say, how long was it, real quickly, just say it, how long was it before, from your, your experience, before you began to, to get help? Somebody. I was 37, I'm sorry. Okay. I was 37, uh, I was listening to a radio station, and they talked about sex abuse, and it clicked. It was like, oh my goodness. That's what happened to me. So the dots began to it get connected. It did, and I was 37. I had two little boys, uh, was married. Her son, uh, one of her sons is a neurosurgeon, and her other son is a physical therapist. Yes, correct. So uh, a, a good middle-class family. Right, Yeah. right. And uh, so I was able to, you know, I talked to my husband about it. We couldn't even get in to see a counselor for two months. We were in a bad way, bad mm -hmm. shape. Um, so that's when my healing started. We found this church about a year after that. And I, I led Making Peace in 1994. Did you? That was my first freedom group to lead. And it was powerful. And all the rest is history. Yeah. Well, but you know, Christy mentioned Romans 12 too, the renewing of your mm -hmm. mind. We've got to look at the lies that we are telling ourselves. That's right. And look to the truth. Well, what is the truth? We live these lies so long that we don't even know they're lies. They seem we need to, to come be back. truth. And let's t hang Sorry. on to that thought. Let's get that because we're going to talk about that. Okay. But let's, how long was it before you started getting help? So I had kept silent for 21 years. And uh, the first person I uh, said what had happened out loud was my best friend. And that's when I realized, because like you said, I had told myself lies. I had stuffed it down so hard that I thought, oh, well, that wasn't what it was. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I, I didn't know how to handle it, like I said. And, and so when, when I told my best friend, she was like, honey, you, you were raped. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I had actually heard that. And that was so powerful to me to hear my best friend that I had grown up with um, tell me that. And... Um, Using that word kind of put it in a context that said, this is bad. And I mean, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, because, it, you know, I always went like, well, was it my fault? Or, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was, I, it was, I blamed myself so long. And then um, it wasn't until um, we had an advertisement here on City, in a, City on a Hill. It was Celebration Fellowship mm -hmm. at the time um where they were advertising for uh shelter from the storm which is a class for women who are survivors of sexual abuse and um that's when i thought okay i really need to get help from this mm. because i'm really screwed up <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that was that was 21 years a 21 year interval is that, yes. yes, from the time it happened until you really got into where you were going to be. Absolutely, okay. and I I was still using at that time, and I decided to get clean. Um, I've been clean for ten years now, and um, thank you. And I just really started on that journey, and I took making um, not making peace with your past shelter from the storm. A few times, and then I actually started facilitating it, like I said. Cool. But yeah. Stephanie, how long was it for you? Well, if I can do the math, I can't do math in my head, but I think about 38 years. Okay. Wow. I think I was um, 29 or 30 when we came here, and 
you know, do the math. I was very young when that started. I really don't remember how young. But a long time. James mentioned connecting the dots. I was 26. I was a child and sex crimes detective, and I was assigned a case with a teenage young female uh, who made an outcry of sexual abuse. And it struck me as I was investigating this case um, how similar our stories were. She was adamant that she was not going to prosecute this woman that had been sexually abusing her because she very much cared for this woman and had believed that this relationship was, was real and, and something that she wanted to continue. Uh, she was very transparent about the relationship, but she was not going to prosecute. Her family uh, did not pressure her one bit. And that's when I began to connect the dots and realized, holy fill in the blank. Um, well, she is a cop, so we have to give her a little bit of leeway here. I try. <laughs> but it, it blew me away. And it was also at that point when the realization that I had been sexually abused, uh, both my, my husband and I at the time were, were separated, and I spiraled, and I spiraled very, very fast. Mm. But thankfully, uh, as quickly as I spiraled uh, and hit rock, rock bottom, I also got connected to the church. Amen. All right. Excellent. Gwen? I wore the mask for 24 years, and I was 36 years old when I came into recovery. And upon going to recovery, meeting with a counselor at the church, I was diagnosed with PTSD and suffering and clinical depression. And so that began my journey, so it was a, a long time. Yeah. And I only came into recovery because my offender died. Up to that point, he was still living. And everything kind and of came to And I still had fear of yeah. him. Mm -hmm. And when he passed, every, it's like the dam broke internally for me with my emotions. And mm. that's, that's what propelled me in recovery. You mentioned in the first service, Gwen, I want, you to hear, I want these folks to be able to hear that as well, about how um, you coped through the years um, in your marriage and, and just in your life, what you, how, how you cope, how that you discovered after you got into recovery, realized it was coping. But uh, how did that happen? Well, my relationships, I didn't know how to be in relationships. Um, I didn't trust. I was very controlling, very anger, angry. And the two emotions that I believe that I vacillated from to was anger and rage. <laughs> That's all I knew. <laughs> That's from here to there. Here to here. On a scale of one to ten, I was already at nine and a half. Yeah. It's just and a short step to range. Absolutely. absolutely. So, when, so if someone crossed my path and said the wrong thing or did the wrong thing, I would just topple over yeah. right, right then. Yeah. And so the, the relationship with my husband was very um, hurtful because... I took out on him that I didn't say in the first serve. I took out on him what my stepfather had done to me. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know I was doing that until the counselor right. pointed that out. And so we would get into these arguments and he would tell me that, you, you know, that I was the problem. And I'm like, no, you're the problem. <laughs> I, I don't have a problem. So I, I couldn't even see it. And it was just really toxic. Mm. But I thank God that my husband, he gave me a husband to give me the space that I needed to heal. Mm, right. And we have been married now for 41 years. Amen. That's, and, that, and it's so cool, because we're friends on Facebook, so I get to see when she posts pictures of her and her husband out having dinner, and, and I, you know, I just think, I just give glory to God every time I see that, because apart from the healing experience, that, there's no way that would be possible. Absolutely um, yeah, he might, he might have been a man who had a long fuse, but eventually that fuse was going to end. Right. And, 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 and God allowed him to have the patience that he needed. Yeah. And uh, you got into healing, and yeah. he gets glory. Yeah. Well, I'm going to add, Pastor Reese, one thing. You know, my husband, he tried to be understanding. He didn't know what was going on with me. Right. I didn't know what was going on with me. I, I didn't have healthy boundaries, and I was encroaching, encroaching on all of his boundaries that, that he had, and so we would get into these arguments, and he said, well, Gwen, I'm allowed to have an opinion. Yeah, you are, as long as you agree with me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
long as it's the same one <laughs> I've got. The same one I got. I, I, I didn't allow him to be separate and yeah. have his own opinion because I felt that if he disagreed with me about my behavior, then he was rejecting me. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't make the connection. The, yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a powerful connection for all of us. Uh, ultimately, regardless of what our dysfunction is, it, it becomes separating the behavior from the person. And, and because shame is so much attached to this, that's what we typically do if you've been abused is you immediately, whatever happens, you attach shame to it. Absolutely. And, and so you've got to protect yourself uh, from that in order to be able to survive. Uh, we've got 10 minutes and you know we need about yeah we need two hours a minimum here but uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk for a minute about the church because that is really why I created the fearless series for the church as a tool to give churches a safe tool to begin the conversation in other words to break the code of silence and once we break the code of silence and we give women a tool and a safe place they will talk mm -hmm. they will talk uh, we see that all the time in our small group after each session of the Fearless series, women who come in there and have never told anybody within 15 minutes in that group, they feel safe because they've just heard women on the Fearless series talk about theirs experience and, 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 and hear these women, they're all here for this subject and all of a sudden it begins to come out and then that can open the door for lo later uh, longer term healing. So on a scale of, of one to 10, Okay, let's just do the scale of one to 10. This is a, like a one number answer. How good is the church in general, in your experience, doing in addressing the issue of sexual abuse of women? One is the worst, 10 is the best. Just Wait, grab the mic and just walk down general? the, hmm? Church in general? Church in general, churches in general that you've had experience with or that you know of or whatever. Not silly on a hill because we've been doing this for a yeah. long time, so. Yeah. I, I, I would say a two. Okay, okay. In my opinion. Not including City on a Hill, zero. I don't okay. know if that's off the scale or what. Your experience, my experience, in your experience, is you don't know of a church anywhere that's addressing this issue other than us. No. Okay. <laughs> my husband and I went on a, a little mission trip for about four years to uh, Keller to another church. <laughs> And, um, We've forgiven you for that. I can, yes, a <laughs> few years ago. And I can tell you that I beat the drum oh, at that particular church. Um, I was in their, um, their freedom ministry, or it's not, it wasn't called that. It was in, uh, the type of ministry that City on a Hill does. The support group ministry. One night a week, yeah. yeah. And um, I, I led groups over there, and, and continually women came to me with issues in their marriage, issues at work, issues with their children. And almost always those issues, at the end of the 14 weeks, we finally figured out that it was actually sexual abuse that led to all of that. Mm -hmm. um, I beat the drum that we needed something. Um, we had the Conquer series for men, but we had nothing for women. This was all they had was just this generic one-size-fits-all ministry, which I was happy to do. Um, and I prayed for the Lord to send those women to me, send them to me. Cause I, right. at least I know something about this. Um, I had been at city on a hill for many years and, um, and, uh, that was, you know, that, that was an eye opener. Um, I, that's my only experience with other than city on a hill, but that, um, mm. and that was a church that already had a heart and a mind to be doing some ministry, but they just couldn't wrap themselves around doing this one and that and that is not unusual because imagine you know I mean think about it sex is not a subject most churches want to talk about but when it is something as personal and as dark as sexual abuse taking advantage of it um, all of a sudden becomes even more forbidden and that should be the very one sign that says no we have to address this but churches are afraid to do so and that's why I developed the fearless series to give them a tool and hopefully that church may be with this tool might do it. Christine? Real quick, my perception is it's, it's a zero uh, in my experience uh, with multiple organizations. Uh, this is being spurred, if at all, by 501c3s. It's the Gwendolyns out there mm -hmm. that are That's spurring right. this moment. I think there's just a lot of hypocrisy in churches, and quite frankly, it's going to take leaders like Pastor Reeves uh, to push this out amongst the masses. Gwendolyn, I want you to address that because on the Fearless series, you mentioned 
why women tell you why they didn't go to their church to get help, and, and I'd love for you to say that. Gwendolyn, her ministry is a parachurch ministry. It's not located in the church. Women that come there are Christian. Obviously, Gwendolyn is very actively in her church, but she realized that she had to take this ministry outside of the church in order to get women to come, and they tell her why when she asks the question. I think it's powerful. Absolutely. When I was a lead facilitator at my local church, I would have ladies to come approach me in the foyer and, and say, well, Gwen, you know, my, I have the same story like you, but I don't feel safe coming to the church to address it. And so I would go every year, Sexual Assault Awareness Month in April, we would go down before the church, do a presentation, talk about the resources in the church, tell my story and, and any other brave survivors who wanted to tell their story, mm -hmm. but they just not did not feel comfortable. That they, they felt like their story was gonna get out before yeah. they were ready for it to get right, out. Right, right. So that, that, that uh, confidentiality was hugely important Absolutely. for them. In the, in, Absolutely. Later on, it's not as important to you willing to tell your story, but when you're first entering into the healing, it, it's, oh, yes. hugely it's crucial. important. It is crucial. Yeah, yeah. And then that's why we made the decision as a nonprofit organization to take it, uh, our organization out in the community because when we were in the community doing awareness presentations and education, there were ladies that would come up to us and tell us after presentation that I was assaulted by a church leader. Yeah, somebody in the church, yeah. Or I took my story to the church and they blamed me and shamed me. Yeah. And, and so they would not step foot on the church. Mm -hmm. So there I was in the community. I'm not on church ground. I can address those who are in the church who don't feel comfortable coming yeah. to the church. And I can address those who are outside of the church who are angry at the church, but they're also angry with God who yeah. will not come to the church. Absolutely. You know, Boy, on wonderful. the Fearless series, there are several of the women say, I went to my church leaders. Yeah. And just and got nothing. A couple of them talk about the fact that the first person they went to for pastoral care, it was very obvious that the pastor was very uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. And, and didn't say that, but they could tell this person is not comfortable with this subject. And so that just caused them to go, okay, I can't talk about this. And they just pull in. So one of the things that the church needs to do, and I think uh, all of you agree with this, would you not? that every church needs to have a woman who is a highly visible point person for women that they can go to. Because most pastors are males. Right. And we, it's, it's like if you, a man, if he has a pornography program, problem and he has to go to a woman and talk about it, he's probably not gonna do that. But if he has a man that is a man who's well known, he's the point person there, then there's a little more comfort. And then we require women to go to male pastors to talk about this subject, it's no wonder that they don't, mm -hmm. because many of them right. don't, well, they don't know anything about it, right. but even just talking about it is very uncomfortable, and that sends a message, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. yes, and, yeah. and so that's why we have Vanessa. She is our point person. This is, this is the woman. We advertise her. We put her up <laughs> in front of people, and, and we, want, we want her to, we want them to know. And, that's, uh, that's why I know it's usually one out of two because, yeah. you know, yeah, everyone I meet, yeah, exactly. it's just they share some sort it's, of uh, sex abuse. Whether it's physical, sometimes it's just it's verbal. Right, we say right. just verbal, but yeah. verbal and early childhood Emotional. development can be just damaging. as damaging as physical invasion for a, a young girl if her body is it's developing, if she's spoken in a shameful way about her body changes by her dad or a brother or other men, it can have devastating effects upon her. And that's a form of sexual abuse. That has, a, as one of the counselors said, Lori DeVecchi on the Fearless series, she said that has an element of sexual abuse to it. Absolutely. So, wow, this has been, this has been incredible. And we're going to two minutes, do what? Visual The visual, yes, exactly. If you are exposed to things early on, that are inappropriate, it can create all kinds of the wiring just kind of goes crazy in, in the brain. There's and a lot of confusion with that, uh, growing up and having been abused. There's just so many questions, there's confusion. The brain is not properly yeah. operating. and It's, it's developing just, and, and those neural pathways get rerouted. Absolutely. And, and you know, signals get messed up. And, and Low self-esteem, inadequacy, I mean, all these feelings shut down emotionally. That was the biggest, or that is the biggest. So y'all, this is a journey, okay? None of you have arrived. 
some of you have been in the journey longer than others, but it is, it is a journey. It's a lifelong journey. And some people, you know, they don't like that idea that you mean even a Christian, this is a lifelong journey? Well, yes, it is, because there is this spiritual battle that goes with, on within us. And that doesn't mean we, we can't live whole and fulfilling lives if you've had this experience. But it means that if you're trying to get rid of the memory, you're, you're not going to do that. The goal of healing is not to get rid of the memory of what happened. It is to strip that memory of its power over you. And that is the key to this process. It you still have the memory. Yes. But each week, each month, each year that you are processing and telling your story, that memory has less and less power over you. Yes. And that's when we're walking in the freedom of Christ. And that's when the renewing of the mind has really taken place. Right. You know, we need to give that shame back to that person, whoever they are. Yeah. Give it back. Give it it's back. not our shame. That's right. That's My right. gosh, but we take it on like it is. We've got to look at what lies we're telling ourselves. Uh -huh. And the forgiveness, walking through that forgiveness, it's a process. We don't just say, okay, well, I'll forgive. Yeah. No, it's, it doesn't work like that. You know, when uh, Shannon Etheridge talked about this on the Fearless Series, she said, you know, when we first talked to a woman about forgiving her abuser, that's not in the beginning stages of recovery. Right, right. No. Because Absolutely. that's got to come later on. And it is a very important part, element of this. But when a woman first, the thought of forgiving that individual, because they have so many misconceptions about what forgiveness is, letting them off the hook, and all those kinds of things. So Shannon says, we don't talk about forgiveness mm -hmm. until we've gotten a good way in. And then we begin to couch this, that, mm -hmm. that we can forgive, and that when we have come to that place, what we are simply doing is releasing that person from, to God. Releasing them to God. Because I think a lot of times our, our holding on to unforgiveness is because we want to get a pound of flesh from somebody that's hurt us, yeah. and you're not going to get that pound of flesh out of Pastor Reese, I just want to add to that forgiveness point. I tell my clients when they come in and talk about forgiveness, forgiveness is a step on the journey. Yes. On the healing journey, but it's never the first step. Never the first step. That's <laughs> kind of near the top of the steps. That's probably the quickest way to get a yeah. woman to walk out of a Absolutely. support group room if you start That's talking right. about forgiveness the first week. Would be empty. <laughs> yeah, they would not come. Although it is a very important part. Okay, thank you guys. Man, this has been excellent. We've done this for, for two services. And uh, Derek, come on up and close us out. If you would stand one more time and give them a, a round of applause, absolutely. Bravo, lady. So uh, September 15th, that is the date to mark down. September 15th is when we launch our Fearless series here at City on a Hill. We are taking a citywide approach, meaning that we don't just want people from this church. In fact, we'd prefer more people from the city than from this church to go through it. Uh, we did this for the church last fall. We had about 90 women show up, 100 women show up. Three series since, yeah. This will be the third. Okay. Uh, we want we want to reach out, and so here's what I'm going to challenge you with. It took a lot of courage this morning to get up on the stage and share in the way that these women just shared with you. I want to challenge you to not leave this room and forget about it, not think about it again. I want to challenge you to take the same measure of courage out there and invite someone that mm -hmm. you know, that you know right. could use and benefit from this. Because this isn't just a group. It's not just a, like a church thing or, or whatever. There's real power. There's real healing that takes place in this. Let's break the code of silence. Let's break the code of silence. Start talking about it. Let's break the code of silence. I said first service, I pr my prayer is that 10 years from now, when we look back, we will look back on this day as the day that sort of broke the floodgates open and, and the fire spread, mm. but, but it starts with us. It starts right here. Will yeah. you take the challenge? Will you have courage? Will you go out mm. there and invite? I pray you will. Pray with me and we will dismiss. Lord, we thank you uh, for these brave ladies as they got up here today and shared something that the world would tell them not to share, that the mm. enemy would tell them not to share, God. And, 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 and we believe, Lord, that when your word says that we engage in spiritual warfare, that there is spiritual armor that we put on, that we, that we war against principalities and darkness, Lord, this is what it looks like. It looks like sharing, opening up, and talking about the things that the enemy so desperately wants the people of God never to speak of. Because we know when we do, mm. uh, real freedom is possible. 
And uh, the blood of Jesus breaks the, the, the bonds of so many strongholds in, in, in whatever abuse has taken place, God. And so I pray uh, that this would really inspire your people here this morning to go and share and share and share and share until they're blue in the face that we would see women for the first time perhaps receive this kind of healing. Lord, we love you. We thank you that this is a place where it's even possible to do this. I thank you for James and the vision that you gave him and the courage to set out and do this, Lord. Uh, bless him. Bless these ladies. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless, bless you Thank you, See you guys. next week. Man, y'all did a fantastic job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.